0: Thank you. you. May be seated, and thank you, Doug. Thank you, team. Aren't you thankful that we worship the same God? Amen. Everlastingly the same. He never changes. It seems like everything changes, but he's our changeless God. And what a privilege to worship him wonderful to see you here today and welcome you and celebrate with you and welcome those that are joining online as well. And if you have your Bibles now, I encourage you to turn to the passage where uh, Al read a few minutes ago, Matthew chapter 5. If you turn there, Matthew chapter 5. Recently, I read a story about a young Methodist Preacher. And he was a preacher in the very earliest days of the Methodist movement in England back in the mid 1700s. And one day, as he was leading his small congregation in worship, he looked back and he saw two men who had come into the service, and the two men were John and Charles Wesley, (laughs) two brothers who were really the founders of the Methodist movement, and immediately the man was just overwhelmed, I'm going to preach in front of John and Charles Wesley, But when he came to the pulpit to speak, here's what he said. He said, brothers and sisters, this morning, you are going to hear the greatest sermon you have ever heard. And the congregation was just aghast that he would say such a thing, let alone say it in front of John and Charles Wesley. But then, here's what the young minister did. He opened the Bible and read Matthew chapter five, six and seven, and then dismissed the service. as <laughs> a smart pastor. <laughs> and that morning, they did hear the greatest sermon of all time. They heard the Sermon on the Mount, and that's our focus here on, on Sunday mornings. we're talking about life in the kingdom, what does it mean to be followers of Jesus? We're we're looking at what could be called the constitution of Christianity as Jesus delivers this message which has at its core what his kingdom is about, what it means to follow him faithfully. And so I want you to know for the next Many Sundays you will not hear the greatest sermon that you have ever heard. I can assure you that, especially if I'm speaking. But we are going to hear from the greatest sermon ever preached. Would you agree with that? Now, last week we began this series in verses 1 through 12. We opened up looking at what has been known. For generations as the Beatitudes as Jesus opened this sermon and remember he is on a hillside of Galilee banks going down to the Sea of Galilee and there are thousands and thousands of people spread around him it's like a natural amphitheater he has come as it seems out of nowhere Preaching the good news of the kingdom. Saying the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent. Turn from your sin. And turn to God. Because the kingdom of God is at hand. And his message was being validated as he was performing incredible signs and wonders. Such as the world had never seen. And so it was not... Surprising that within a short period of time, there are thousands upon thousands of people that are flocking to hear him and bringing all people who are sick or afflicted in any manner that he might bless them, heal them. So when Jesus had this massive crowd, he brought this message talking about his kingdom His new community that he was forming. And he opened it by sharing eight statements that said, these kinds of people are blessed. And you see those if you look at verses 2 down through verse 11. There's eight different times that the Lord says blessed. And remember the word blessed here doesn't necessarily mean happy. It can mean that, but it means more. It has the idea of flourishing, flourishing in your spirit before the Lord. And so these eight statements that Jesus makes are really what we could call the keys to the kingdom. And, And that's what I called them last week, because in the First four of those beatitudes, you have the description from our Lord about the people who enter the kingdom. Who is it that enters his kingdom? It's people who by his grace are beggars in spirit. Verse 3, theirs is the kingdom. People who are mourning over their sin, they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek people, the people who submit to his rule. They will inherit the earth, not conquer the earth. They'll inherit the earth because the earth belongs to their heavenly father. And he says, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. They desire to be right with God. More hungry to be right with God than they are to have Physical nourishment, the promise is, they shall be satisfied. This is how people enter the kingdom. We don't enter the kingdom proud and arrogant. We enter the kingdom of Jesus by His grace as people who are poor in spirit, mourning over our sins, submitting to Jesus, hungering and thirsting for righteousness, rightness with God. And the Lord never disappoints, does He? Because what happens to people like that? Well, they experience and they begin to express the kingdom. They become merciful people. See that? Verse 7. They become people who are, who are pure in heart. They desire to be right with God, pure in heart and so they begin to see God everywhere and they become peacemakers they're no longer dividing but they, having made peace with God themselves through Christ, now they are peacemakers like the prince of peace, their master what happens to people like that? life's rosy, right? People follow Jesus, happy all the time, no problems whatsoever. Is that what your Bible says? If it does, you need to get another Bible. We'll be glad to give you one. It says, blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake. Theirs is the kingdom. Blessed are you when... People revile you. They speak evil of you. They persecute you. Why? (laughs) Because you've wronged them? No, they persecute you. They speak evil against you and lie about you on my account. And he says, these kind of people in the midst of those kind of terrible trials can rejoice and be glad for their reward is great in heaven. And they're in great company because they persecuted the prophets in the same way before you. Now that's how Jesus opened this constitution of Christianity. Here are how people enter this kingdom of mine. And here's how they experience it and how they express it. Can you imagine how this must have sounded those people that day? What kind of kingdom is this? What kind of king is this? And what kind of people could he possibly be talking about? What can people like that do? Well, you know what Jesus' answer is we want to see today? He says people like this are people of Influence. People of influence. They are real influencers. Today we hear a lot about media influencers. You heard about that? Media influencers. I've heard it so much and not understood what it was, I decided to investigate. (laughs) About time, right? And so I investigated what, what are social media influencers? And so I did some, some digging and I found that here is a, a definition of influencers. Social influencers are digital creators. That cleared everything up for me right there. I mean, that was like eureka. Man, got it. <laughs> digital Creators, Here it went on. There's a continuing definition. With expertise in specific market niche. They share content they are passionate about. They build and engage with an audience of their followers. And they collaborate with their favorite brands. So I said, oh, now get this. This is... People with personality who are in sales, okay? Nothing new under the sun. And so I, I was just interested, well, who are the biggest influencers today? So I, I found the five top influencers in the world today. I'm going to give them to you. Number five, fifth most influential media influence in the world is Dwayne The Rock Johnson. He has 359 million followers. Number four influence in the world is Selena Gomez. She has 372 million followers. Number three most influential person in media is Kylie Jenner. She has 378 million. Number two... two, is Lionel Messi, Argentine soccer player. Did I say his name correctly? What is it? Lionel what? Okay, great. Soccer player. It it said actually football, but I translated it into the most accurate (laughs) word, soccer player. Okay. Okay. Don't know why the rest of the world doesn't get that, okay? This over here is football, okay? Okay. Not not that stuff. He has 422 million followers. And the number one media influencer in the world is Cristiano Ronaldo, Portuguese soccer player. 537 million followers. And so I said, I've got to know a little more about this guy. (laughs) His salary just for soccer, his most recent contract, is $230 million a year to play soccer. He averages seven posts a week on Instagram. Seven posts a week. And for those posts, he receives approximately $3.2 million per post. Ronaldo doing okay. <laughs> and so I read that. I read that information. You know what I thought? Here's what I thought. First of all, I got to get on Instagram. I mean, <laughs> I'm just telling you. I'll start with a few followers here. Help me out. I've got to get on this thing. Wow. Influence. Ain't what it used to be. Listen, this is Jesus describing real influence. You want to hear how God describes real influence. Here's how He describes it through His Son Jesus, verse 13: You are the salt of the earth. But if the salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? It's no longer good for anything except to be thrown out, trampled under people's feet. You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden. Nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand, and it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory... To your Father who is in heaven. Now that is influence. Salt of the earth, light of the world. Jesus here is talking about kingdom influencers. And that's what I want us to think about for a few minutes. What does it mean to be a kingdom influencer? Well, there's two amazing pronouncements. You couldn't have missed them as Al read this passage and I've read it again. He says, Jesus says about his people, you are the salt of the earth. You are the light of the world. And in the original language here, it's very emphatic. It's, it's actually Jesus saying it like this, you and you alone or you, yes, you only are the salt of the earth, the light of the world. Now, notice Jesus is speaking to all of his believers there on that hill, just at the very start. He's speaking to each one of them. And so we have this message from Jesus, and Jesus is still speaking. How many of you know that when God speaks, God's word is just like Himself? It is eternal. So, what Jesus said 2,000 years ago is what Jesus is saying today. So, what is Jesus saying to us today? I mean, look around us. (laughs) You, You look pretty great. But we're not all that, right? But what does Jesus say? You are the salt of the earth. You are the light of the world. Now, let's take a look at this call. And if you are a follower of Jesus... This is your call. You say, well, I don't know if the Lord has called me to serve him yet. Listen, if you are a believer in Jesus, your phone is ringing right now. You don't have to wait for a call. If, If you're a Christian, you've been called. Or you wouldn't be following him. And so he called you. Not just to be his follower, but as you follow him, to be his influencer. That's what he's saying. So let's look at what each one of us here is called to be as influencers. Number one, he says, you are the salt of the earth. Now we take salt for granted. <laughs> we, we don't even think of it except when it's not on the table. But salt was extremely valuable in Jesus' day. The Romans believed that salt was one of the most valuable substances. So so valuable that Roman soldiers were often paid in salt. And that's the origin of the expression, he's not worth his salt. Meaning he's not worth his paycheck. They were paid in salt. And not only was it valuable, it was considered sacred, a sacred substance. The ancient Greeks actually called salt at times, theon, which means divine. They considered salt a gift from the gods. In Bible times, covenants and contracts often were consecrated and parties would finish the document signing and then they would share salt together as a sign of the divine witness to the contract. That's the reason in Leviticus chapter 2, we're told about the salt of the covenant The salt of the covenant. This covenant is just not man-made. This covenant is godly and should be taken as holy. Jewish sacrifices were always offered with salt. So when the Lord Jesus told the crowd that day, that crowd of people, when he told them that you are the salt of the earth, they immediately recognized he is saying you are very important. There's something sacred about your life. That's what Jesus is conveying. Your life matters. It's not an accident or or irrelevant. It is divine. Matters. Now there's been many suggestions why Jesus used this analogy. Why did he call them the salt of the earth? Why does he call us the salt of the earth? What are the qualities of salt that the Lord wants us to understand about our lives as his followers that are very important and have a sacred quality to them? What are they? Let's consider some. Number one, salt has a flavoring influence, doesn't it? It has a flavoring influence. It gives tastiness to food. Brings out sometimes the natural taste of the food. If you're on a salt-free diet, you have my sincere sympathy. I want you to know that. Some people call the salt shaker the death rattle. (laughs) I'm not one of those, okay? Christians are the salt of the earth, Jesus said. What does he mean? You bring a divine flavor to life because of my influence in you. You bring a divine flavor to life around you. Now, not always. There are Christians who are truly tasteless. They have no taste. Sometimes when it comes to bringing divine flavor to the world... Matter of fact, there are some churches that have, they bring no flavor of God to the world. There are some preachers that bring no flavor of God to this world. I smile when I think about what the great Scottish writer Robert, Robert Louis Stevenson wrote in his journal one day. Here's what he wrote one day. I have been to church today... And I am not depressed. (laughs) As if that was something to write about. I actually went to church and didn't get depressed. Seriously, the truth is. In reality, listen. This world has been blessed by the presence of God's people. You think about the history of this planet, even apart from religion, you think of the areas of art, music, medicine, education, science, philosophy. You study those areas and you will find, my friend, a legacy of Christ followers. You do not have to check your brain... To be a follower of Jesus. Amen. You don't have to be uneducated, illiterate. And being a follower of Jesus does not make you a suppression to society. But a really should be a blessing to society. Amen. What's another quality of salt? It's also a thirst-producing influence, isn't it? A thirst-producing influence. Influence. We've all experienced this. Have you ever had salt, something salty? I mean, you order something and it's very salty. What did you have to have right now? <laughs> water. You're just chugging the water down because of the salt. Do you know people in the Middle East to this very day, which is an extremely dry climate, desert like climate at times? they actually eat salt to increase their thirstiness, why? So they won't get dehydrated. It'll remind them to drink water. The salt of the earth, Jesus wants us to be a kind of people. What does this mean? That we are to, by our lifestyle, to be a kind of people who make people thirsty. How sad it is when someone says they're a follower of Jesus, but by the way they live their life, people would think, I don't want anything to do with that. When Jesus says that we are the salt of the earth, part of that is to create by example And that flows from God's grace, a desire for the water of life. As salty Christians, we should be people who cause others to want the water of life, which is Jesus. But also, salt is a preserving influence, isn't it? It's a preserving influence. Back in the Jesus' day, of course, there was no refrigeration. There was not refrigeration as we think of it for nearly 2,000 years. But in that day, without refrigeration, salt was rubbed into meat to actually slow the process of spoiling. And so likewise, in this world... We live in a world which is under the curse of sin. It's it's spoiled and it's spoiling. it It is, in a sense, the world system is rotting and decaying. And you say, well, I don't know if you ought to say that. That sounds kind of harsh, Sam. Okay, how about if I read the Bible? Would that help? 1 John chapter 2 verse 17 John the apostle of love said this the world is passing away it's passing away and all of its systems it's fading away Paul said this in 1 Timothy 3:3 3, 3, the world system is not becoming better and better what did Paul say as we get closer to the end it will become worse And worse. Friends, the Bible message is this the world is not evolving, the world is devolving. Every increase of knowledge and understanding is only used for more terrible and perverted causes. So many times, we harness. The power of the atom. And we use it for bombs. We use amazing learning and technology. So often is a system of this world not to create that which is good, but that which is awful. But friends, I'm speaking to us as followers of Jesus. Jesus. You and me are the salt. What's that mean? We are to be preservatives. We are preserving agents in a world that's passing away. That's rotting. We are here. Listen. What's this mean? We're here to make a difference. We're here to make a difference. And how do we make a difference in this world? How did Jesus say We are to be the salt of the earth. How are we going to make a difference? By political power? Please say that you would not buy into that lie. Jesus said, my kingdom is not of this world. It is not a kingdom that is advanced by political or military power. It is not a kingdom that is to be taken control of by any political party. And no one speaks for the kingdom of God except the King, Jesus Christ. How do we make a difference? By political power? No, we make a difference by spiritual power. What kind of political power did these people have on that hillside? Tell me. Wow, what a political force they were. Just wait till the next election. Oh yeah, there weren't any elections. Just wait till we rise up and take things back. Really? But my friend, within... 30 years of Jesus saying these words. You know what they said about believers? The people who've turned the world upside down have come here. The world was saying, these people are changing everything. Our rules don't apply to them. They don't live by our rules. They, they live by some rule that's beyond us. They have some power and Force in their lives that we don't even understand, and they're multiplying everywhere. This is what Jesus said his kingdom would be like. What did he say? It'd be like a little lump of leaven. What? Now, spread and spread. It'd be like a little seed of the mustard plant and outgrow the largest of plants. You say, okay, Pastor Sam, let's just get real here. Are you saying to me that I can change the world? I mean, are you saying that I can change the world? Absolutely. But here's what I want you to listen to: where is your world? Where is your world? Your world is your neighborhood. It's your own family. Your world is your office. Your world is a ride you share with someone. Your world is a team that you may play on. Or your world is... A team that your children play on. Your world is your classroom where you go to school. Your world is your Facebook page. You sure can make a difference. That's the world. You can be an influencer. Not by being dogmatic and arrogant, but just by being, well, like a little child. Give you an illustration of this. When my kids were growing up, I tried to make sure there was time for daddy dates with them. Together, or from time to time, have one of them go someplace. We go out, do something, ride bike. Go to the Holy Hill of Dunkin' Donuts or someplace. <laughs> and I remember one time when Ruth, our oldest, she was just a little thing, and we went for a daddy date. We went over. I bought her something at the at the mall, and we went to the food court, and we got some something to eat, and we we bowed and we prayed. And this elderly lady, as soon as we prayed, just fell on us crying. She said, that's the sweetest thing I've ever seen. Oh, how sweet that was. That was wonderful. Wonderful. Thank you, ma'am. Thank you. Well, the next time we, Ruth and I were out to eat, we bowed our heads and prayed. And then these people sat down right next to us and they Jumped right into their meal, and Daddy said, and and Ruth said out loud, Daddy, those people didn't pray. They must not be thankful to Jesus for their food, Daddy. They didn't pray. And I'm like, they didn't appear so blessed as the previous lady was. (laughs) But there was my little three year old, four year old, she was just laying it out there. And kind of, you know, it took me back, but inside, I'm like going, preach, preach, you know. <laughs> you, you preach, Ruth, I'll turn the pages for you, okay? <laughs> listen, if we're not having influence for Christ, then what's our purpose? Verse 13, listen to what Jesus said. You are the salt of the earth, but the salt has lost its taste. How shall its saltiness be restored? It's no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. If, if the salt was no longer good, if, if it had lost its properties if, or if it had become contaminated... It wasn't good for anything. They certainly didn't want to have it on their gardens. So they would take that salt out and they would throw it in the path to keep the weeds down. What is tasteless salt good for? Jesus says it's, it's useless for its purpose. He's not talking about Christians here losing their salvation. That's not what he's talking about. He is saying they're losing the value and they're losing their effectiveness in the kingdom when there's not a saltiness about them. A saltless life is an ineffective life. It's it's a purposeless life. Remember what Jesus said. You, you alone are the salt of the earth. And then quickly Jesus said this. Another image of influence. You are the light of the world. Now this was staggering for these people that day. Because throughout scriptures, light had always been associated with God. Let there be light. and There was light. John tells us, God is light and in him is no darkness at all. Paul tells us that God dwells in a light that no one can approach. Jesus, even as he was dedicated as a little baby... In the temple. You remember, old Simeon came and took him in his arms and blessed him. And he said, This is the light to the nations. This is the glory of your people, Israel. And now, here Jesus is telling his followers that we share in that ministry. You are the light of the world, you, you really are the light reflector. My light shines on you, my light shines in you, and you reflect it back to the world. Think of that. Who's he speaking to? He's not speaking to the religious leaders in Jerusalem, is he? Who's Jesus speaking to? Fishermen, farmers, shopkeepers... Mothers, dads, you are the light of the world. Jesus is sharing that same commission today to this to us right here to you, to you the student, to you the teacher. To you, the truck driver, to you, the engineer, to you, the sales representative, to you, the nurse, he is saying, You are the light of the world. You see, this light has a revealing influence. It's a revealing influence. You know, light can cause you to see what color something really is. I'm laughing. Don't laugh at my outfit, but I'm laughing a little bit about this morning. (laughs) I don't know if it's my old eyes or what, but yesterday, early evening, I could not determine, are these navy blue pants or are these black pants? And so finally, I don't care what the neighbors thought, I'm going to be influenced, okay, right? I took the pants outside. (laughs) And they're probably thinking, yep, that man's crazy. (laughs) But it was in the sunlight I could see, yes, these are navy blue, okay? They're navy blue, all right? You see, as Christians, one of our responsibilities, how God uses us as a light of the world, is to reveal what something really is, whether it is bright and of the Lord or not. Not because we're the standard, we're not. But we reflect God's standard. You know, and you don't even do this intentionally. Uh, Please, please tell me that you won't leave this parking lot today driving in your cars or you won't go walking through the mall saying, I am the light of the world. I am the light of the world. I am the light of the world. Please don't do that. And if you do, don't tell them you go to West Park. Okay, don't do that. Because <laughs> I will say of you, I never knew you. Okay, don't do that. This is not intentional, this is just natural. It's just a natural flowing from your life. Great Christian of France many years ago, Francois Fenelon, a godly Christian leader in France. He was known for his depth of his communion with the Lord. And one night, a religious skeptic had to share the room with Francois. And the next morning, the man didn't even stay for breakfast. He hurried out of the inn and he said, if I spend another night in the room with that man, I'll be a Christian in spite of myself. (laughs) That's the way it should be. Sadly, my friends, some Christians brighten a room by just leaving it. We're to be an attracting influence. Verse 14. You are the light of the world, a city set on a hill that cannot be hidden. Nor do people light a lamp, put it under a basket, but on a stand. And it gives light to all the house. You can imagine in Jesus' day with no electricity. Sun going, goes down quickly. Complete darkness. But on a hill where there were the flickering oil lamps every village on every hill would be like a lighthouse. You could see it for miles and miles. It's what Jesus is saying. Our light is for the purpose of illuminating. It needs to be displayed, not hidden. You know, there are Christians who... I understand a desire for the humility. I understand this. But there are believers, followers of Jesus, who say, I don't want to be noticed by anyone ever. I don't want to be noticed by anyone ever. Well... Your Lord says He wants you to be noticed. Not in a prideful way. He wants you to be noticed so that your Father will be magnified. There will be an exalting influence. Why does the Lord want us to be known? Why does He want our light to shine? So that we can say, hey, do you ever see a light like this? I love what it says about Moses. Don't ever forget this. Moses came down from the mount getting the commandments of God. Do you remember this? And he came down. His face was so shining with the glory of God. They had to make Moses put a veil over his face for a while. They couldn't stand to look at the radiance of God coming off his face. But you know what the next verse says? Moses didn't know his face was shining. You see, people who really are the light of the world, they don't go around saying, look at me. Look at this light. Wow. How bright I'm shining. No. They don't even really think about it. It's just the Lord's on them. And they don't even know it. Have you ever been around people like this? God's all over them. They don't know it. You see, that's what God does. God uses someone without inflating them. And it exalts the Father. They will exalt and give glory to your fathers in heaven. You see, this is what it's all about. Being followers of the King is an influence. That comes from God's work in our heart. And it's real. And it's light. And it's salt. And there is an influence that comes from their lives. Influence with God as they are able to pray to God. Influence for God. Toward others. And they bring an influence From people to God. And friends, that's a great way to live. Jesus is walking these aisles this morning. Where two or three are gathered, I am there in the midst. You know what he's saying? You, you are the salt of the earth. You are the light of the world. That's important. That's influence. Heavenly Father, I pray that you will help us to draw near to you So that as we draw near to you day by day, your influence, like salt and like light, flows from us. Lord, I pray for... People who've been hiding their light. And I, and I don't know what the basket is that's been covering the light. But Lord, I pray that you'd speak into that situation. Because you want every light of every one of your children to shine. Lord, I pray for, for people here. Their lives are not satisfying them. There's, there's no salt in their life even for themselves. It's just, it's just tasteless. Their life is meaningless, tasteless. Lord, let them know. That you are the hidden manna. You give life that is really life. You you give. That which is living water. Lord may people. Draw near to you this morning. And I pray for any. Who has not committed their life to Christ. To today Lord. As they. Are a beggar over their sin. They're broken over their sin. That they will bow the knee to Jesus. And they will reach out to Jesus. And you Lord Jesus. As you have promised. All who come to me. I will never cast them out. Make that so today. And Lord I pray for us now. As Christians. We've got slumping shoulders. We're, We're beaten up. But Lord help us to say. I am who you say I am. And so I won't argue with you, Lord. I am the soul of the earth. I am the light of the world, Lord. I pray that we will be people who say we are who you say we are. And by your grace, we'll be that. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.